Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Blood. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting Today on the show, I'm talking to Dr. Andy Galpin. He is a professor and scientist of human performance. He wrote the book Unplugged, and he is a total badass. I find myself looking to him for all kinds of answers to questions that I have, whether that's listening to him on podcasts, watching him on YouTube, or just reading the things that he writes. You can find him on Instagram at Dr. Andy Galpin. Dr. Andy Galpin, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, man. I just got to let the audience know I spent the last five minutes discussing over all of your career work. So <laughs> I won't do it again, but just you guys got to know I'm such a huge fan of yours. No, now it's my turn to gush over your work and your mind. And then uh, the fact that I uh, derive a lot of my knowledge from listening to you. So thank you. Uh, it's an honor, man. Um, you're a college professor. Yeah, my real job, I'm a, I'm a full tenured professor at Cal State Fullerton. I run the Center for Sport Performance there, which is a research facility, and we've got a bunch of different labs, and our job is to study any and all things human performance. And okay, I understand that if somebody is going to get a degree in this, they need to go to college, but a lot of the a lot of the data that I assume you teach in school, you also give away on YouTube, on your website, in podcasts, like what we're going to do right now. We're going to get data from a college professor. Is there no conflict here? Ah, there's probably a ton of conflict. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, I mean, the honest answer is, you know, many years ago, uh, I love teaching and 
that's what I came into it for. And just our college structure wasn't working for me. You know, we have only 30 people we can get in a class. And then for my courses, there's these uh, quite literally year, years long waiting lists and stuff. And I was like, this is just, this is nonsense that this is the structure because of a fire marshal code, because of the physical size. Uh, it didn't make any sense. So I was just sort of like, you know what, I'm just going to make many of these lectures and I'm just going to give them away and, yeah. and found a real passion for science communication. I've been doing it for a long time and I haven't gotten fired yet. So I think it's okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I've looked at your website and like, you know, I, I, I have, I've heard like, I have four kids, two of them have gone through college. The next two are kind of up at bat. And, and there's a lot of like, well, they could get the same education online. And I think that there's, um, some social benefit to having a degree and some usefulness if they're going into something specialized, certainly. Um, but I do largely think a lot of the information is out there and attainable. But in this same line, this goes into a question for you right now. And, and maybe this has been true always, but it seems more heightened for me right now. I feel inundated um, in the, I don't know if it's just, if it's exercise, if it's diet in that space where I'll be hit with a, a word that I don't ever fully understand like inflammation or microbiome or, you know, um, you know, the way your brain processes ketones. I was almost, you know, there was a point in time where I believed that the ketogenic diet made you think quicker. Um, and I find that there's a, there's, I, I don't know if it's disingenuous or it's marketing or what it is, but there will be a diet based on one of these kind of sciencey terms that is sold to a, a group of people and marketed to a group of people that I think is not really understood or thoroughly understood as though they had been to a college course on this stuff. Yeah. Well, here's what I can say. It became very clear to me early on in my career that the, the role of a professor in college is changing and should change. And what I mean by that is, look, when you and I went to college and went to high school, the person teaching the classroom had access to information the rest of us did not. And you might be able to go look up some of that in the library in a book and check out and all those things. But in large part, you probably don't not have access to that information. So when I first started lecturing, they were coming to me because I had things that they couldn't get almost anywhere else. That quickly changed. And so the point of going to college seven or so years ago, from my perspective, was needed to change. They don't need me for the information. Anything I could lecture, even in, again, 2015, 2013 could probably be got on YouTube. And now that is certainly the case. There, it's just absolutely no technical information I teach in any of my courses that they could not get in seconds on any number of places. And so I realized my role is now different. It is not necessarily information delivery. It is now thinking. It is understanding how to get through information so that they can answer questions exactly like you just asked on their own. Because the race of just knowing information is going to be so quickly outpaced and there's no value there. And so what they need me for is experience and wisdom and guidance for decision making within this realm. And when you ask that question, well, the, my initial reaction is that. And because 
I don't know all the information in the world. And I have to make those decisions, filter that down, and then pass it on to my mentees. I have to then give my mentees the same exact skill set. And that's the same exact skill set I have to give to you today. Did anyone listen that I'll have to give to my kids and all that stuff? So I have really transitioned my career to doing things like that. So when someone asks a question about inflammation or autophagy or any of those buzzwords, rather than simply saying, here are you know, here's the right answer. Okay. If, if I'm at a cocktail party and my aunt asks that, I'm probably just going to be like, uh, yes, no, or whatever. Right. So there's some level of, I don't really care. I want the answer. Cool. But if you really want to just be able to get, take yourself through the self-navigation process, then we need to give you the infrastructure to think through. And so I'll, I'll kind of wrap here, but in any of those examples, we could go down them specifically. And, and the truth really is this, we have some global understanding of inflammation or brain fuel and stuff. But then there's a lot of information that is incorrect that we don't know yet. Right. We genuinely don't know what's wrong yet because of technology and measurement and scientific limitations. There's some that is known to be wrong, but it just hasn't gleaned through the next layer. And then there's some that we just don't even know. And so anyone, anytime anyone has extreme certainty on topics like that, um, I am always asking, is it just they're being very certain because it's the ant at the Christmas party answer? Or if they're really there, then now it's either they're uh, oblivious to the reality or they're deceiving. Right. They're intentionally deceiving. Those are your only two answers there. Yeah. I, I Another one that rapidly jumps to mind is I have a, a kid with type 1 diabetes. She's had type 1 diabetes since she was four years old. She's now 18. And... um you know her if her blood sugar goes up which if she eats any carbohydrates and even some you know protein uh whey protein and water will make her blood sugar go up and if she doesn't get insulin for that which is delivered now through a pump but it used to be i had to inject her with insulin her blood sugar stays up and this is not good so like i realized that high blood sugar is bad and i get told by her endocrinologist over and over ad nauseum it's like all the terrible shit that can happen to you from bl high blood sugar which makes me really scared and weary of it but i who get my blood work done at least three sometimes four times a year and wouldn't know what an a1c was if i didn't have a diabetic kid it would just be a you know, okay, the stuff that jumps out to me is cholesterol and lipids and stuff like that. But, but, uh, I know what an A1C is, and I've never been pre diabetic. And I find myself today thinking about putting on a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, to see what's happening. But I've never once been pre at 550 pounds. I was not, I had a perfect A1C. I've never, that's never been an issue for me. And I think like, well, what if I see a, a spike in blood sugar, but I know it's going to come down. What is that going to do to my, to how I'm behaving with food? Is that going to make me react in a way where I'm not going to want to eat a thing because I saw a spike, which then came down, which is normal function of the body. Uh, so it's, it's stuff like that where I'm like, I'm like seriously considering. And by the way, this shit ain't cheap. I know what I pay for hers. <laughs> to get a continuous glucose monitor it's a lot of money um to do it just as a 
a data point for me who has a perfect A1C, I'm like battling this in my head going like, uh, I don't. I don't totally get how, but it's been sold. I've been, I've, I've to some degree, I'd like to look at that data, but it doesn't serve me really. Cause I don't, it doesn't add to, you, do you know what I'm saying? I, I do. If you're listening at home, I've been, I've been smiling ear to ear as he's, you know, you've been going through this. Um, we get this one a lot, man. And here's what I can say. I have found CGMs to be every part of the range, extremely helpful, extremely detrimental. And sometimes sort of in between. And so here's what I would say. If you're going to use technology like that and you're going to go for any biological markers, you really need to have an honest conversation with yourself, what we call a priori. So prior to starting, right? This is the scientific principles. Determine your your processes before the results come in. And I say that because we have had some people do exactly that where everything is fine, they have no symptoms, they have no other risk factors, they throw a CGM on and they hit a number that they heard on something, um, which by the way, science works typically on averages. And so when we say, hey, your blood sugar shouldn't rise above, enter some number, 160 milligrams per deciliter. That's just like a plus or minus. That mean, that could mean to 140 to 180. Like We also don't know what like a single spike really does. And so any of those data are based on high numbers of associations between big data groups. And it looks like, hey, roughly there's a cutoff in this data of 30,000 people that suggests on average when you're above 160, blah, blah, problems. Okay, that literally doesn't mean anytime your blood crosses past that number, you're all of a sudden in some some dangerous state. That's not at all how science works. That's not what we have. Um, Even any of the acute mechanistic data are, are just not going to show you the same thing. So I say that preamble to say, okay, great. If you can look at that number and be extremely subjective with it, uh, then I would say, okay, you want to use the CGM? Cool. But in all of our experience, the the story that is typically told with CGM is you're going to find these magical foods that all of a sudden shoot your numbers way up, and then you know what to avoid. And that's a great story, and it sounds extremely enticing. I haven't found that to really be happening. Well, I, especially I when whey protein powder and water can do it to you. Like if if you yeah. can get a spike from that, like my life is over if I'm trying to avoid an increase in blood sugar. Do you know what I mean? Like I actually I do because like I'm going to go into this. I'm going to drink my shake, which I drink every day for the past five years. That's my big pre-workout drink. I get five grams of creatine, a scoop of protein powder and water. And I go to the gym. I'm going to see an increase and I'm going to freak out. Because I don't want an increase. And and I thought, like, that's not the way to do this. No, and there's tons of other factors that go into something as simple as a blood glucose. Remember, physiology, everything is everything. And so you gave an example of an exogenous element coming in, food. But even if there is an anticipatory response to the gym, you could see that blood sugar rise independent of, of, the, of the, the whey protein. There's also data specifically on blood glucose looking at anticipatory response. So when we've given things like this to people and they've gotten a sham, which means they think they were getting sugar and they did it, then we see an equal rise in blood glucose. Oh, wow. So you, if, you, if you think that bananas are going to rocket you into diabetes and you put a CGM on and you eat a banana, it's going to fucking rocket you into diabetes. Like right. this is going to happen. Yeah, there's just no question. Right. So that's what I mean. You have to establish these things and you have to really try to be a robot with that. And if, if you can't do that, then take it off. Um, 
and I'm, again, I'm really thinking of people we've worked with in our, our rapid health and performance program or non-pro athletes. And, you know, they, they want these things. And it's like, we have had some people that can be good for awareness and calibration, et cetera. Sometimes it's good for buy-in. For example, we can say, hey, um, after this meal, we want you going on a five-minute walk. And they don't do it. And then they put the CGM on. And then they do the five. And they're like, oh, I totally get it. Okay, great. Others, it's just been a disaster where we have to pull it from them. Uh, and, and I would honestly say this, this is my same answer for almost any wearable technology. It's the same thing. Like if you're not really able to handle it mentally, then you need to have some coaching experience to say, yo, this is just not a good aggregate positive action for you. So we're out of here. Um, so yeah. I, I, you know, in fairness, I find the scale can be giving data points in the same way where I'm interpreting it as any reduction is fat loss, any increase is fat gain. And for a long time, like 15, 20 years, that's how I lived my life. And my life would fall apart if the scale didn't reflect the number I wanted to see. In fact, I, I had this is how crazy it is to exactly to your point. I, I um, at one point I was doing a ton of cardio and I mean a ton, eight hours a day of cardio. I was 240 pounds, uh, which is lighter than I am now, but I didn't have a six pack because it was all riding bikes. And and like I just thought, I, I guess I got to get much leaner than I am now to get a six pack. So I go into Dr. Heizenga, who's a really great sports medicine doctor in Beverly Hills because he's the best. He was on The Biggest Loser. I knew I knew he would tell me the number I needed to hit in my head. I thought I need to be 220 pounds. I walk in to see him and I say all of this to him. He looks at me and he goes, no, 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 no. You got way more to lose. You got, you got a ton more. And I'm kind of defeated a little bit like, fuck you. But like, okay, he's going to give me the number. It's much more than I thought. He says, first, we're going to do a DEXA scan. So I go and do a DEXA scan. Come back. I'm waiting for him in his office. He comes in with the papers. He said, well, we got to do it again. There's a mistake. Something was off. Do the DEXA scan again. Come back to his office. He says, it's the same result. You're 14% body fat. You do not need to lose any weight, not anything. You should start. He's ta talked about doing more dynamic exercises, lifting some weights, but he said, stop losing weight. I then go again. Fuck you. I know I need to lose 20 pounds. <laughs> like I, the, the only answer that was right for me was either you're you need to lose way more or 20 pounds like it didn't matter what he said do you know what i mean i um, do i do again we deal with this a lot and even the the folks in our pro athletes um especially our our fighters uh ufc fighters like we have to hit a number on a scale right so this is not a, a health journey this is like your salary depends on hitting this thing so these weight loss journeys are, are very important so we have these conversations out season like where should i be what should i be at right and then of course our, our non-professional athlete uh executives and stuff same conversation and we always always start with why that number right. if you can give me a scientific explanation for why you picked that number um then we'll have a conversation and we use the same thing by the way uh with our at with our non-weight class based athletes like nfl players and stuff where they have numbers in their contracts you have to right. be 255 we we use this against the agents and against the teams or with the agents against the team. Why? Why that number? Why 252? Where did you get that from? 
based on his body comp, where are the data? You don't have them. Then shut the fuck up. Like you get no say in this thing anymore. And so with our clients, like it is a very real conversation. Why? What's the number? What's the data? Is it you want to feel different? Is it you feel like, where is it? It's somewhere in this thing. And if you can peel that back, and I can give you a very good example that I think will resonate with you, actually with my wife. So she's, I'm not from here. I'm, I'm from the Northwest. So I'm a country boy, but she's born and raised here in LA. All right. So she grew up as a female in LA, which means by the time I met her when she was 31, it was, what do I do to be 114 pounds? What do I do to be like, right. you know the story, right? And I come in and I was, I'm actually younger than her. So I'm 29, she's 31. And she's I actually think she was trying to be a hundred and about 26 pounds. It was 123. That's the number, 123. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And it's just like years and years. And she's asking me all these questions, you know, like trying to stuff in. And I was like, why don't you just be 128? She's just like, what? Like, do I have to be 123? I have to be 123. I'm like, why? Like, and she's just like, like, and you can see like, like a robot, like the gears are like exploding and exploding and smoke is coming out of her ear. And it took her a few months and she did that. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, all of her binge eating went away. All of her skin hurting went away. All of her just ravenous craves and, and all these things like gone away. And she's just like, oh, I can live incredibly well. We eat mostly really good, but we still can do some things, right? And be 128. Or I can lose my whole life and my sanity to be 123. Yeah. And I was like, where did 123 come from? She's just like, I don't know. Like it's been in my head for so many years. Like, I don't, I don't know. And she's still like 12 years later, 11 years later, she still was just like, you know, like that changed my life. Like I just, just changed my life. Right. Dude, I got to get you to talk to my wife because she's been talking about three pounds. She won't tell me a number, but she literally has been talking about three pounds for a couple <laughs> of years now. And I'm like, I'm like, who are you doing this for? What are those three? Who's that for? It's not for me. Is it for you? Right. And she's like, yeah, it's for me. And I'm like, okay, well, those three pounds mean nothing to anyone else. Nobody's going to see three pounds and yeah. like what changes at three pounds. And she's like, they just, I just can't lose them. And I'm like, maybe you're not supposed to, but I can't win this conversation with her. Well, you and I know there's no winning with your relative. <laughs> this is so I would be happy to step in and I can tell you exactly uh, what I would tell your wife. I would say, great. It's been two years, right? Awesome. Okay. Well, let's lose the three pounds in a month. Let's do it. Right. No excuses. We're going to do it. And then we're going to ride this train. And then you're either going to be there or you're not. But then we're never having this conversation again. Right. Like this is, this is it. This is like, this is not a healthy experience. And if it can be, let's get there. We could get you three pounds in a month without doing eight hours of cardio. Like uh, she's probably whatever range she's at weight wise, three pounds would be not hard in a month. We could do yeah. that. And then if we stay there, we're going to stay there. If not, we're done with this conversation. And then we're getting this out of your head. You got there, you liked it or you didn't. And then we're done. Right. That's it. Yeah. But I, I'm also there. There was one part of me, which was like, I'll do a show prep on her where I'll like load her up with water for a couple of days, then reduce it and give her nothing. Dehydrate the shit out of her. She'll see that three pounds. But dehydrated doesn't really look that great, I don't think. So maybe she'll realize that the three pounds is she's better oh, you than could, the three pounds. You could get a show prep person on there and get her like nine pounds down. Right. And get her look great. And she'd yeah. be like, awesome. And then 
right. the other direction. I think it's good. Like that kind of thing is good for a, for a weekend wedding or something like that. But Definitely. For, yeah, you can't live like that. Um, but yeah. you could see, yeah, nine pounds. That would be amazing. She would be flabbergasted. Oh, we would do way more than that with our folks. Way, mm-hmm. way more than that. But that's probably not the conversation we want to have. No, but this, but this is, this is, this, these are the data points where I think like, when and and maybe it was always available to me maybe what was happening on the scale was always out there if i looked for it right but my assumption that um you know like i didn't there was a point in time where i was trying to get as lean as possible and my my weight on the scale was not moving and then i talked to a guy and he said how much salt are you eating and i was and you know as i ate less and less and less and this was like four months into a very tough diet um i was salting the shit out of my food like i i wanted that and i and i said oh i'm I'm salting it quite a bit while well, i stopped doing that and and it was a mixture of life became meaningless without salt but <laughs> but the change on the scale was miraculous and so at a point like that i think like at, you know at 500 pounds Yes, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. For me, when I'm trying to go like to 9% body fat, like uh, either I really want that for a photo shoot or a movie, uh, but I don't want that that much for life. Like very clearly, life does not require that kind of diligence. Um, Yeah, we went actually, my company just did this uh, last year to be for fun uh, because most of us are athletes, ex-athletes. And it's like, you know what? It's good to have something to go after rather than just like exercising, right? For a lot of people, that's a weight loss goal. For us, it was the opposite. We're like, you know what? Let's just get as, uh, let's do a basically body composition thing. And that's within our company. And then we're going to pay the winner and just do things like that. And it was great because most of us are like late thirties to mid forties. And so it's like, all right, it's time to, to do something fun. <laughs> so we did that. And we spent like nine months going through like basically a contest prep. And the last, I would say, three months were not fun. Yeah. <laughs> we're very, very much not fun. And we all got the leanest we've probably ever been in our lives. And I love it. It was extremely fun. I knew that wasn't the end, though. I knew that it was not going to be all the way down to single-digit body fat, and we weren't going to stay there for a long time. And all of us did it from the right mental place, which is to say, when we were done, we did not have these giant rebounds back up to even, in fact, I'm I'm still am leaner than when I started the entire thing because I'm like, okay, that's right. Like you just let yourself slide a little bit too. Okay, so if that can be done, I think these are very positive experiences. If these are coming from negative places and self punishment and, and things like that, then you, you want to be careful. And I think if you, well, it's very clear if you look at the research on intermittent and yo-yo dieting, it, it's very very bad on your system. Um, we published a paper. Uh, a number of years ago, which is one of the most cited papers in this journal, we published it until to this day, um, you, this literature review on intermittent yo-yo dieting. And it, it's just very bad on every part of your system, from your actual weight to your endocrine system to everything else. It's really, really problematic. So if you can't do that from a good place, then I would certainly say reset your expectations and stay away from yo-yo dieting. It, it's a it's a really bad thing. Um, you've experienced and you've, I know you've talked about this. I've seen you post about it trillion times on Instagram, but getting to a spot where if you are in that 500 pound thing, it's just like, well, do whatever it takes. Yeah. Bariatric surgery. It doesn't matter because your life is a real threat. 
But once you get down to somewhat reasonable numbers, from there, it becomes a real honest conversation about where are we trying to get to? And my advice would be to start not at the scale, but to start here. How do you feel and how do you perform? That's our goal. Underneath those two, we're starting to figure out, okay, now why? Why are you feeling that way? Why are you performing that way? And we'll start to answer those questions. But if you get to a certain place where you feel tremendous, you're performing well, and by this I mean great energy, great focus, awesome recovery, physical activity, VO2 max is high, leg strength is high. We're talking physical performance because we know how linked these are to lifespan and wellness span. So it's not always okay to be like, I have a ton of energy. No, no, no. If your body doesn't perform well, then you're, you're uh, again, the science will show you you're at a very high risk of dying early, right? Or other things. So you have to feel and perform well. You do that, then we can get to secondary goals, which are a number on a scale, a body fat, et cetera. But those should not lead the horse if we're not understanding those first two. And that's how we start all of our programs. How do you feel? How do you perform? And now let's go underneath the hood to start figuring out what is going in your body, what is coming out of your body. Those are all of your biomarkers, et cetera. And figuring out why are you feeling and performing the way you are, which then sets our course for what we spend our time on, uh, you know, training, recovery, breath work, sleep, nutrition, whatever aspect is our most important to then help you feel and perform the way you do. Yeah, that I mean, that's beautiful. And I, I, I couldn't, I, you know, I wish I had had, I, I, you know, in the beginning of my dieting career, I had had that thought, but I did go through the yo-yo battles and I think that there's just a, an, like a, a, a kind of an unrelenting anxiety of like need to get this off as fast as possible. And then once uh, I had seen that, uh, you know, a few months of misery, like really no performance, right? It was a diet that allowed zero performance. Like my cognitive function was low. My energy was low. I'd black out just about every time I stood up, like it was bad. Um, but I saw that I could lose weight doing that. The thing I didn't take into consideration was how much of the weight came back and then how much harder it was the next time I'd go to do that diet. And so, you know, it took a lot of, of that kind of failure to get me to a place of like, wait a second, I'm on a hamster wheel here. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, you know, ha being a sober guy, there was always something that was um, along the lines of detox at rehab on the first day of a diet, like physical misery accompanied with the worst kind of existential dread, like happiness is gone. There will be no happiness. And to be honest with you now, when I start a diet, even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It nothing really changes. Like just it, it's just so it's so slight that I don't. I'm not. You know, if I'm if I'm late on a meal, maybe I get hungry, but I'm not sleepless. Like it takes months of me dieting to get me to that point. And then I realized like, okay, I gotta, I gotta shut this down for a bit. You know what I mean? Like got a refeed. Yeah. It really isn't hard, but, but it it's long. It's, it's a lot of work. It's long. It's not, a, it's not like you have to, you have to make many adjustments. It's a hard sell to, to try to say like, I did, I did this cycle a lot. And it sucks. And here's a cycle that I find that doesn't suck. And I'm now five years into maintaining my weight. Basically, my weight has been static for five years. It's dipped down a few times. It's dipped up a few times. But the the graph would show a static over five years, which is pretty damn good. Now, what do you walk at? 255? Something like that? ish. Two, 265, 270. Okay. All right. So that's if, if that's your number, that's your number. I would assume you take a look at your medicals. Like you probably look pretty good. Yeah. Like, just, you know, like a, a pretty big dude, but that, if that's the reasonable number for you, that's the reasonable number. And if you can hold that, I, I think your physiology is telling you that's the number that it wants to be at. Well, I'll tell you, I, I do. There is some part of me where like my feet still hurt sometimes. My knee still hurt sometimes. And I go like, well, I could get 20 pounds lighter. The problem is the way I diet, I'm desperate to hold on to all my lean tissue mm -hmm. and I've got 230 pounds of lean tissue. <laughs> and so like, I, you know, there's just not a lot there. And, and then I guess my calcium is 11 pounds. So that puts yeah, it yeah. to 241. So right now I've got 30 pounds of fat to play with, but like at 245, if I, if I clung on to everything, that's nothing. That's like 2% no. body. Do you know what I mean? So totally, yeah, I, yeah. there will have to be a point where I go like, maybe I have to give up some of this lean tissue, which I don't really want to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you really need to at this point right there's no real no. as long as the everything under the hood looks great uh, if you're feeling and performing the way you want and then there's no underlying pathologies that are creeping up then it seems to be a, a wonderful place to be at um feel perform and being on a hood looks great man then i think that's what your body wants to be yeah yeah no it's the first time where you know i i can't say that i don't have irrational thoughts sometimes i do um i i was just on a I was just away at work for a few weeks and I was utterly convinced I'd gained 15 pounds. I mean, utterly convinced. I just hadn't been near a scale. Um, and my eating was not controlled in the same manner as it's controlled when I'm at home. Yeah. I wasn't eating recklessly. I wasn't ever binge eating, but I was eating almost all my meals were out basically. 
um, or prepared by somebody else. And this gives me anxiety because I don't know how much oil they're putting in their rice. I don't put any oil in my rice and their rice tastes better than mine. So I'm assuming it's got some oil in it. Um, but I, but I'm, I'm like coming home and there's all the thoughts are firing. Like, well, if you've gained 15 pounds, just order pizza now because you're already on this path. And what the fuck are you even doing this for? If you can't go away and work for a few weeks and not gain 50. So that's all happening, but I'm able to quiet it down and go, I'm going to get on the scale tomorrow. I'm going to see what it says. And I'm just going to get back on my plan, which has worked for me for years. And my plan is my plan period. And I'm sticking to it. And dude, I got on the scale and I'd lost three pounds. I hadn't gained <laughs> anything like it was. Yeah. And then I celebrated that and I thought, no, that's stupid. I don't need to celebrate that. Like, it's not, this is a meaningless victory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But the feeling is there. Yeah. Well, here's what you're doing is you're reaping, your physiology is reaping the benefits of years of work. Right. And so this is when people start these journeys, we will say, hey, look, this is like starting a company. This is like raising a child. This is like any of these things where, <clears throat> Excuse me. The work is going to happen at the beginning, but trust me, it's not going to feel like this much work forever, right? The point right. that you you start a company, you start a pot, it's all this work at the beginning, but there's more benefits for less work as time goes on. There's still yeah. work, right? You still have to run your company. You still have to do all these things. And so what I want to make sure people understand is that amount of work feels overwhelming at the beginning, and it is, but it will go down. For example... For you to execute your plan right now, it doesn't take as much actual time. It doesn't take as much discipline and it doesn't take as much cognitive focus as it did five years ago. No, it when I'm home, it it's for. almost nothing. It's autopilot now when I'm totally. Home. Yeah, exactly. And so it is just you have to think about this like an investment. You're going to be hungrier. You're going to be less satisfied on all those things initially, but it won't stay like that forever. See, so uh, the way that I phrase it often is. Uh, the hard things in life are acceleration, not velocity. Right. Meaning it's the change. And once you get through that change, it doesn't matter the speed you go after. The common example here is brushing your teeth. Nobody thinks about how much of a pain in the ass it is to spend five minutes brushing your teeth every day, like in the morning and at night, right? Because you've been doing it your whole life. But when you're three years old and oh, you're first me. getting, it's, just a, it's a 20 minute thing every night, right? Like yeah. it's a giant ordeal every night. Yeah. It's, it's horrible, right? Acceleration is the problem, right? So starting a new habit, hard, hard, hard. And it just looks like you're going to be running uphill your whole life. But once that becomes the new baseline, it is not that hard uh, to really achieve. This is the same for building a, an exercise or physical activity uh, pattern. It's the same for um, any lifestyle intervention. So not watching as much TV at night or, or whatever it is that is some habit you want to change, right? Uh, the way you react to your spouse or coworker, how you set up your day, getting through that grind is the challenge. Um, I, I give an example uh, for many years of there's like a seven day challenge that you can do just really easy. Uh, and you and I, I think are on the same page that uh, I don't demonize carbohydrates nor sugar. No, not right? at all. Great. But try this, take everything that tastes sweet. And I don't care what you know, if you know what carbs are or not, if it tastes sweet, Take it out of your mouth for seven days. Don't put anything in your mouth that tastes sweet. No a calories, a caloric sweetener, nothing. Nothing that flavors sweet. It's the only rule. Take it out for seven days. If you can go 14, this is even better. 
but take it out for seven days. When you come back on day seven, have a giant glass of orange juice. Oh, shit. The first sip in your mouth is going to be orgasmic. Yeah. Like it's going to explode. And if you want to go even crazier, the first thing to take a bite of, either take a bite of a bell pepper or a piece of common bread. And the first time in your life, depending on how sensitive your palate is, that bell pepper will taste like a, like a strawberry. You'll, you'll taste the first time why they call it a sweet bell pepper. Right. You'll see the same thing in bread. You will taste the sweetness in bread. And you're like, what? Bread is sweet? It will. At that point, you'll go, whoa. Like, it's just so sweet. Uh, it's not, not that those things are bad, right? My point is, if you were eating a certain way, uh, a certain style, you're like, oh my gosh, I just can't stand the taste of my coffee without sugar, my tea unsweetened, blah, 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 blah. It will feel horrible for seven days, 10 days, but it happens that fast. It's not a seven month or seven year journey. Very quickly, you will learn to eat that food item without added sugar, without added fat, with whatever the thing is, right? And then from there, it'll go, oh, this isn't hard at all. And actually now, like it tastes really delicious. You can taste the flavors so much more and you will learn to oftentimes appreciate that food in its, you know, quote unquote, more natural state. So again, to be super clear, it's not just a sugar thing. It is simply how fast your body adapts and can go through acceleration to establish new norms with things like flavor. Yeah. So getting to that spot becomes no, like the rice example is super easy. Like I would love to have a bunch of butter baked, cooked into my rice. It does right. taste delicious. It's amazing. Yeah. You put some salt in there and some other stuff. And yeah, if I were to go eat, you know, plain rice out of a thing and compared to my norm, it's like, oh, this tastes like shit. This is so hard. This diet's impossible. Two weeks. Yeah. Give me two weeks. And all of a sudden you'd be like, wow. And you go back to that first one. You'll be like, holy crap. So this has two real benefits. One, you know, the suffering is it's very, very short term. Another benefit is you actually learn to, to uh, your, your palate's much more sensitive to natural flavors. But when you do then occasionally have the, the oiled rice, that special occasion traveling, whatever, it's you insane. get to enjoy that. It's insane. It's so good. Yeah. No, I mean, this is like um, fast food, which I don't, re I don't eat fast food. Um, simply because it doesn't give me the bang for i'm not full off a big mac and uh and i'd probably need to eat three and then i'm my calories are all screwed up so i don't you're, just I just you're don't done mess for a week it. yeah exactly <laughs> i don't mess with that stuff but um i've done i've done it with um salt and it's the same thing like the first couple of days without salt i, I want to kill like i actually want to kill myself i'm so upset with life like every the <laughs> whatever spark of joy and i try not to derive joy from food too much in general but still there's a sensation that salt gives me that makes the food come alive and when you just kill it it's rough but a few days in and you and you don't feel I didn't feel that way anymore. And then a little yeah. dash of salt wakes it up and it's amazing. So I actually want to try this sweet thing. I'm not as much. I'm more of a savory guy. So oh, salt too. has a profound uh, effect on my life. But, I, you know, when I think about the amount of sweet stuff, like I do have whey protein every day and I look forward to it because it's sweet, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, if you put a whole buffet out there and there was half of it was desserts and the other half was 
It was charcuterie and nachos. I'm never getting past those things. Uh, no, me neither. I would just stay there all night. Um, <laughs> I have a question for you, and I just want to phrase it in the right way, and I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, I'm completely with you. If you're 500 pounds, do whatever you've got to do. Like, if 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 I think that uh, Ozempic will save lives, or se- semi-glutide will save life, um, because... You know, if if it had been around when I was 500 pounds, I'm sure I would be on it and I'm sure I would be happily on it for the rest of my life. And that would be that. Um, but for the folks who are yo-yo dieting, who are trying to get those three pounds down and all the effects you listed from yo-yo dieting. Now that yo-yo dieting is going to be painless, because at least you had the pain of yo-yo dieting that would make it kind of people want to stay away from doing it. But now it's going to be ultimately painless for people. You know, I said to like Mike Isretel on who I love on Instagram the other day because he was saying like, no, it's great. And uh, you can just do it like this. And I said, yeah, well, cocaine was a great no n- nose number for sinus surgery and and it's not necessarily used that way like i think if you had caught me six years ago and said here's this drug and you do it for a few months and you lose all this weight and you're done i would be i would be doing cycles of it i there's just no way i would have gotten out of it um and that's my fear that all of those all of those kind of side effects of yo-yo dieting are just going to be more prevalent because people are going on to eight-week courses of semi-glutide. I, yeah, I have a lot to say about this. I think you've captured it at the beginning nicely. Number one, I'm not a medical doctor. Don't take any medical advice. This is your journey. Caveats, caveats, don't sue us. Great. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> I think globally, when you look at what's happening to the billions of people on this planet, nothing has worked so far. I understand. If you can move things to passive, i.e. drugs, supplements, things like that, it is very clear that's going to drive more work than exercise interventions. Like we just have 50 years to suggest that works. Yeah. That calculus I get. We're going to save millions and millions of lives. And I actually think it's probably true. I do too. That all said, there there are no free passes in physiology. You st- anything that's going to mess with anything close to hormone or hormone-like behavior, there's going to be consequences. Now, if your consequence is some diarrhea, but that helps you lose 250 pounds, well, that is a slam dunk. Yeah. Like, absolutely worth the risk. And for the individual person, sometimes those are not uh, just two anecdotes that should be treated as almost irrelevant. Because when you look at this across millions and millions of people, it just, it doesn't matter what you put in front of them. There will be one or two or 10 people that have bad reactions. And that, that is irrelevant, like basically, right? Sure. Not irrelevant, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's a, that's a fair trade. Yeah. It's just going to happen, right? Um, a couple of individuals I know that were using it more like you recommended. Uh, these are moms who had kids and they have a two-year-old or a three-year-old and they haven't lost that baby weight kind of thing. And they wanted to get those 20 pounds off. Uh, turned to pharmaceuticals like that and had very severe psychological con- issues with that. Never had in their life. I'm not saying full breakdowns, but very close. And you're like, whoa. Okay. 
Like, is this really worth it for, for those folks? And it absolutely was not, right? Shouldn't have been. You have people like my mom who is using that very, very successfully. I have tried for my life to help that and just nothing was working. Yeah. And the doctor was like, you should do this. And I'm like, you should definitely do that. And she doesn't know. And she just does it. And, and she's probably going to live a lot longer now because of that. Right. Having said that, she's now recently gained most of that back. Right. She has no idea why. I'm like, is she still that. on it? She is still on it. Okay. Um, now, my guess is it'll probably go back down. In general, yeah. those things look effective if you stay on them, if you come off of them, if we have problems, but they're they're designed to be something you don't come off of. Right. That's sort of the purported thing. So well, no, that's a, that's how I understood it. And then I'm hearing from friends of friends, you can do an eight-week or a three-month cycle of this stuff. You can go to a clinic and they'll give you and and I'm like, I that's not I that's not how I understood it to be designed. Yeah. And you you don't throw something like this out because of abuse, or misuse. I sure, say, that of abuse, course, right? Not the problem of the thing. So that all said, um, man, we're at a tough spot with with our species because we know the answer is for a lot of people that is the only thing that they will do and that will save their life. Additionally, we know if that's the only health behavior that they change, for a lot of folks that's not going to be enough. Secondarily, again, when you look. At physiology, there are no free passes. So surely something else is happening here negatively that we just don't really realize yet. Right. Data will come out, studies will come, and all of a sudden it's sort of like, oh, this is the metformin all over again. This is the like, we've been down this road, folks. Miracle drug, miracle drug, miracle drug. All the five-year follow-up studies, something bad is happening. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen with these drugs. I hope not. My genuine hope is not. But we've just seen this story play out enough. Um. So I, I'd say to summarize that my position is I, I do think it is viable at this point uh, for many people. Again, my mom, my mom, I was like, yeah, she should do that. Right. So like that's 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 how like effective I think they can be uh, for other folks. I would say if there are any other ways we can go about this, it's probably better. Yeah, it's probably better if we can do that. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, anybody who's done a diet five times uh, you know or, or or lost weight five times and gained it back and i certainly had done it more than that i've lost a, at least 100 pounds and gained it back at least five times uh i i just think like you know i don't know it's it's a tough thing to convince somebody to to do it long and hard to take it slow to to yep. to restructure their life like what you're talking about giving up all sweets and then introducing them and re-experiencing them. That's only a week. I think it, to really read, to really reshape your life, you kind of got to do that with a bunch of different stuff. It's not yeah. just sweets. It's not just this. It's like, how do I introduce a walk every day? Uh, yep. You just go, you just have to start walking, like set a timer and walk every day and see what it does for you. See if you can increase it. Um, but it's a hard sell to say like your life might require 30 of these things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. And it's the spell that we know is not, doesn't, doesn't get bought. Right. Just look like it, it didn't work. All the things we've, we've tried so far have not worked globally. Right. Uh, no, people would rather buy Kim Kardashian's waist trainer and, and 100%. you know, and, and that's the, I'll just wear this 
garment and I'll get a big butt. I think that's what that's meant to do or a small waist or whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I yeah. made a lot of money off waist trainers and the detox. Yeah, you know, and- it's super interesting. We're actually, uh, this morning I was, um, on a call with the, some colleagues of mine in Switzerland. We're actually planning a study right now, uh, with a team of neuroscientists, behavior psychologists, um, our, our fitness and nutrition folks, and then economics uh, individuals. And the rationale here is what if we could design a single study where we could say, okay, look, you have X amount of expendable dollars, extra money, whether this is 500 bucks a month or something. Now you can invest that. Uh, so we're actually specifically targeting uh, financial investors. You can invest that in another company, angel, blah, 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 blah. blah. And that number also might be 50,000 a month. So it's just this range, right? What happens if you put that back into your own body? Now we know from decades of corporate wellness that that works, right? This is why insurance companies pay for preventative, like no question, right? But I think that's what's interesting about this is what actually happens then to your money long-term. And if we can show you will actually make more money in that $3,000 investment per month on your health, then you would have made that $3,000 investment in the S&P. Like, oh, now I've, because the story is known. You're going to be healthier, blah, 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 you'll live longer. And no one cares. Right. If we change the incentive, and now with the neuroscience and and, and uh, the psychologists on board, it's like, okay, well, then why? What is the neuroscience happening on this? And secondarily, this is very interesting. What will this do to adherence? Will it make it worse? Will it make it the same? Can we move the needle there? And if so, again, why? What's happening um, chemically? What's happening biologically that's actually driving that? And have we we have uncovered a different approach to this question? Because it's it's just super clear that death threats don't work. Right. No, nobody really cares enough. You, you said it earlier about the incentive way, way down the road. Like it's just it just doesn't work for most people. Uh, you tend to either have to have somebody die or get close or experience something like that. Really, it has to be really high touch, like really has to happen for you to care or something else has to happen in your life, psychological trauma or, or some other trigger to get you to go, great. And so maybe there's a different incentive here. Yeah, <laughs> dude, fun. I know I had every doctor I ever saw uh, very cautiously broach weight loss with me for the majority of my life. Right. And I, it was, it was something that I just, it would, it would be like, you, you know, like trying not to look at dog shit on the ground or something like that. It was something that I was, it, it's there, but I'm going to take that thought and push it away and not, not deal with it now. And I'm going to go about my life and it, and it, the incentive that worked for me was like, I like this girl and she likes doing active stuff. And I am avoiding doing active stuff with her because I'm too overweight and uncomfortable doing active stuff. Well, if I if I want to see this through with her and and sit, start saying yes to like going to the beach or going on a hike, I'm going to have to do something about my weight. And and that that was my incentive. I can't give that incentive to anybody else. You know what I mean? Like no. I can't convince yeah. you to have that as your incentive. And and my incentive has changed. Like now I'm very interested in health. Now like I heard you talking about uh going upstairs and getting out of uh, out of breath was a sign of strength. And I was very very happy because I could go up 
six flights of stairs and not really be breathing heavy. However, going downstairs sucks for me and it sucks on a muscular level. It's not just that my knees hurt. And so like I'm actually focused on developing strength in those muscles, which are different muscles like that wasn't my fucking goal 20 years ago. I would have never yeah. even thought about that. It, it, going up or downstairs sucked 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I didn't know that. Uh, so was that your wife? That Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I that's mean, so cool. We've got a bunch of kids. We've got a granddaughter now. She's the cutest thing ever. Like my life to me is an utter fairy tale. Um, and so part of it's like, God, I, I, there was a time when I was doing drugs and 550 pounds and I would go to sleep at night and think like, I'll probably die in my sleep. And then I just fall asleep because it didn't worry me that much. Cause it just was like, all right, this is where we're at. And, and like anything comes to try and kill me tonight and I'm up and fighting for my life with everything I got. You know what I mean? I like my life now. Um, yeah. So I want sort of interesting be because here. like what you really just brought up is the message about, the risk of death was clear. Sure. It was not an education issue. No. It was not more, what we've talked, you know, at the beginning, it's not information giving. Not me getting my information, my students, that the information is there is not, that wasn't enough though. Even the honest keto people say calories in, calories out, like, or energy balance. Yeah. The education, like I think for the most part, people realize if I'm on the lectin diet, but eating, overeating, drinking gallons of olive oil, I'm not going to lose weight. Maybe my eczema clears up like, okay, people got it. It's just a matter of like giving enough a shit about implementing it. Yeah. I think that's why you have to get to different incentives. Yeah. Right. So like the, the risk of you dying when not there. So can we pull on other levers? Can we pull on your libido? Ooh, can we pull on uh, the physical pain you're in right now? Can we pull on the decision-making? Um, I'll give you one example. We had a guy uh, in the Midwest. Uh, he was a trader of some sort and he wanted to work with our sleep company. And we're like, great. And we're kind of asking, like, why are you interested in doing this? And he was like, well, because I track my sleep against my trades. And we were like, what? And he had years of data tracking his sleep against the success of his trades. And he was like, if I get 15 to 20% worse sleep on a night, this has cost me millions of dollars. Oh, wow. And we were like, oh, so he absolutely, he didn't care at all about all the health and all their risks like of his poor sleep, he was he was super pragmatically being, if you guys can help me sleep better, I'm going to make more money. Right. And we did. And he was like, great. So whatever money, this is when we sort of talked about costs. He's like, I don't care what it costs because it's going to make, it's going to be a multiplier. It's going to be a 3X multiplier, like magnitude wise, not 3X uh, on my money. And I was like, well, that's fantastic. So for him, it was straight up dollars. Other people, it might not be dollars, right? It might be Things like play with your grandkids longer. Other folks, it might be, hey, do you want to stop being so bloated all the time? Yeah. You want to stop having to worry about going outside because you you might have diarrhea. Right. Like whatever the thing is, right? Um, so it's just about hopefully trying to find more of the incentives for that person and letting them know this thing that you're uh, – sleep is a really good one because a lot of people will – I could do this for anything, by the way, any of the physiology examples. This is just how physiology works. Sleep top of mind. So I'll do this one. A lot of people will create stories of themselves about sleep. Uh, I'm just a bad sleeper. 
I've had a sleep study done and I'm a, I'm a bad sleeper. I've done all the behavioral things. I don't, you know, I take the supplement, I do this, my, you know, all the sleep hygiene stuff I've done and I still sleep poorly. I'm a bad sleeper. Uh, we've heard stories about chronotype. Oh, I'm just a night person. Oh, I'm just an, this. Most of that is absolute garbage. What this, that all is, is you still have not uncovered what's actually happening that's causing your poor sleep. And we know this because we run extensive analysis on people, uh, environmental scans of their sleep environment, uh, eye tracking software, like just tons of, of technology we put in sleep. We're running full clinical grade sleep studies on people in their own bedrooms, in their own bed, all of these things. And we find these people who are you know, bad sleepers their whole life, we're able to actually figure out why they're sleeping that way and then resolve that typically very quickly. And they're just like, holy shit, I just thought it was a bad sleeper. Uh, and there's just no physiological reason to think that actually happens. There is in physiology, there's always, a, there's a cause, like yeah. there's something there. Right. And we can find that uh, and we can relieve that the same thing with chronotype, right? Um, oh, you're a, you're a night person. Let me guess. Let me guess. Your parents were night owls. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Could be genetic or it could be 40 years of learned behavior. Right. It could be either one. So that learned is, behavior is a bitch, though. That learned behavior is tough to unwind. It is, but it also, like, with what we know about physiology and the levers to pull, if, it, if you're on your own, uh, uh, first of all, you might not even need to or want to change it. That's not something like being an idol is not bad at all. Sure. Right, right. But if it's something like, yo, I have to work and be, I have to, my kids or whatever by eight, and I'm always groggy, like, okay, do you want to change to be an earlier prototype? No, 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 I'm an idol. Really? Okay, well, if you want to do this on your own, this is going to be a struggle. But if we can figure out exactly what's happening with high precision, change that chronotype. Again, you're talking just a few weeks. And all of a sudden, you're just like, I've slept this way my whole life, and now it's gone. And we hear this routinely in our sleep company. I've had X and Y my whole life gone. We we, Basically, daily, that happens. Well, certainly more than daily, multiple times a day. So, um. If those things are desired and you have the, enough data and precision, then a lot of physiology can be changed. So those stories that tend to be created can be very, very powerful. Uh, if you want to change them, they can be done. If not. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the thing that comes to my mind mostly is obesity, because that's the thing I really dealt with. I slept. I, I didn't sleep great when I was obese. I, I would stop breathing. That went away and I sleep great now. And so I don't think about sleep. But but with obesity, I I have been a number of times at the point of sheer hopelessness. And, you know, I, I, I think that there's a, you can be doing a diet and have the perception of doing the diet and that it's hard. And you're and you're still not losing weight, which is a, a, a double mental F you basically. You know what I mean? Like I, I perceive yeah. that this thing that I'm doing is hard and yet I'm eating. T- uh, I, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I've, I've had that happen even not long ago where I'm like, I'm going to get really lean and I'm working really hard on a diet, but then I'm I'm letting stuff slip. But that doesn't those those little slip ups where I'm like not totally measuring my ketchup, but it's adding calories every single day. And I'm literally, you know, splitting hairs here with how much weight I want to lose. The perception of effort into the diet is still there and Mm -hmm. not losing weight. It causes a complication, which 
doesn't alleviate because I can go and go like, well, I had too much ketchup. That doesn't make me feel better. And so it, it becomes very hard to, you know, I, I just think I have empathy for folks when, when, when I know that everyone is capable of doing this. And when I hear I've tried every diet, I just can't lose weight. The thing to my mind is like, well, you're not probably doing it right. If you're one of the rare people that needs a thyroid pill, okay, then you need a thyroid pill. But outside of something like that, you're you're messing something up that you could fix. Yeah. The way I would recommend thinking about it is this. A lot of folks, when they start that fat loss journey, are going to want to lose fat so that they can get healthier. Right. Do it the opposite. Yeah. Get healthier first. That will then make the fat loss much easier. We've changed the target now, right? So we've you know we've we talked a lot about the scale moved or didn't move, and there's so many factors, fiber and fluid, and you're on a flight and salt that can move these numbers a lot per day. And so the target needs to not be on that. That should be the result. The target should be on get healthier first. That will then allow the weight loss to occur not the inverse, right? So when you're making positive decisions and choices in your life and you're missing your ketchup by a few ounces a day, I'm not super concerned for most people until the very end yeah. because you've made so many positive changes, most likely. We've walked a little bit more. We're taking our sleep a little bit more seriously. Again, I'm, I'm not talking about ruining your entire lifestyle, but just every little thing. And we're 10% better at sleep. We're 10% better at not drinking so many drinks when we go out. Uh, passed a couple of more times on fast food and went for better. That's going to stack up and you're going to be healthier internally. And when you're healthier internally, we're going to have fat loss eventually. And so the problem will become when people are so fixated on the fat loss, they make the healthy choices, don't see the fat loss, and then they give up on the healthy choices. That so just great. focus on getting healthy first and then we get there. The, um, the behavioral stuff, my three-step approach, which um, I learned a lot from John Berardi and Precision Nutrition on this one. Step number one, when we have clients that have to lose a lot of weight, step number one is add. That's It's add first. We're analyzing, uh, first of all, we do hundreds of biomarkers. So typically we're doing saliva, stool, urine, and well over 500 blood biomarkers, right? We're getting these big complete pictures and we're looking at everything. And then we're analyzing their diet and their behaviors. So step number one is fixing any vitamin or mineral deficiency that we think is there. Fiber, things like that. Through, through nutrition through, uh, or like, yes, or, and supplementation too, I guess. High precision supplementation, but for most folks, it's going to be dietary based. Right. So you, you like people start like day one of their diet. It's like, yo, here's all these things to eat. And they're like, what? <laughs> right. Like, uh, yeah. Like, I don't care at all about your calories for the most part. Um, you, you know, like, I love what you're saying. The problem with what, has been sold to me in the past is here's all these things to eat. You're going to lose weight. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah and, yeah, yeah. and exactly what you're saying happens. I go like, okay, well, whatever it was, I see nutrition. He says, you got this blood type. Here's a list of foods you can eat as much as you want. And I'm doing it and not losing weight. And then I'm going like, screw you, man. This That's didn't step work. number one. It didn't yeah, take you but, all the way. But it wasn't, it wasn't ever sold to me as like, let's get healthy. We're not focused. The first step is not weight loss. Cause I agree with you. I think that that's a mat. Like 
if, don't worry about weight. Start walking. Choose different foods in the like. That's what I would tell somebody to do. Do there's a yep. bunch of stuff you do before you, you know, understand what you're eating. Start to keep a, a food log so you know every day. Well, this is how much fuel I've taken. It doesn't matter. You don't have to reduce anything. I love what you're saying. Yeah. So start with fixing deficiencies or adding missing elements, right? And as you know, when you start adding in fiber, you start adding in protein, and you start adding in vegetables, you actually start subtracting a lot because there's just no room left, right? Yeah. It's like, well, I have to eat A, B, C, D, E every day, right? And I don't even mean crappy food. So it's just like I have, there's just not as much room for two pieces of pizza. Like <laughs> it just, just doesn't enough, enough there, right? So you tend to get weight loss on step one. Like very often because you're just focusing on getting in all this stuff. Step number two then is saying, okay, let's remove the glaringly bad, just not even talking about uh, controversial stuff. I'm, we're talking like you Rappuccinos. ate a of, Yeah. Totally. Like we just, there's just no rational thought that that is a nutritious food element. Right. right? Like, great. I will never answer when you're on step number one or two, I will never answer this question. How bad is this food for me? I will not answer it. Uh, I do actually what I call the, <laughs> the five-year-old see you in the face answer. I do this to this. I love it. If you can't see what I'm saying, like it's a, like I'm extremely yes. annoyed and yeah. you should be embarrassed right now yeah. by asking that question. And then I don't say anything. And then they start scrambling and they start going, yeah, but like, Blah, 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 blah. But this is non-fat and the trans fats and the triscuits and plus like the keto and, and like all these things are coming in. And you're just like staring them blankly in the face and you're letting them ramble. And then it's like, you're asking whether or not the non-fat triscuit is a little bit better than the whole wheat other trip. Is this a conversation? Where, like, is this why you haven't lost 250 pounds? Right. Like, this is not like this is and then it's like, it's like a shameful, like, I'm sorry, dad. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I will ask answer answer though. Which of these two foods is better for me? Great. If we want to frame this in the positive, so all your journey is about getting the most nutritious stuff into your body. It's not the negative, restrictive, scarcity, bad for me, toxic, which is what's sold, right? This is yeah. what buys people the market, right? We don't, we're not having that conversation yet. The egregious stuff, you know better than, right? It's the fifth grader diet. You know better than to eat this all day. Don't eat this. Uh, whether you think bread or pasta, like, I don't even care. I'm talking about just the obnoxious frappuccino. Like, there's just no no nutritional yeah. um, for, for most things. Okay, great. So step number one, get in good, get in good, get in good. Frame this as the positive. This is fueling your body. You're going to feel better. You're going to think better. Not the negative, take away, lose fat, blah, 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 blah. Step number two, then putting some restrictions on the egregiously bad stuff. Step number three now let's become aware of content of food. So do you even know what a fat is? Do we know what a protein is? Let, let's get a rough idea of where we're at. Um, I use an analogy that we call a cook versus a baker versus a chef. Um, have you heard me talk about this one before? No. Uh -uh. Great. So do you know what the difference between cooking and baking is? I mean, I enjoy cooking. My wife enjoys baking and I can't bake because it's scientific and like I always screw it up. But cooking, you can kind of just throw anything in and see how it tastes. That's you nailed my, it. Okay. Okay. Baking is science. You can't just be like, eh, throw a dash of tape of baking soda in there, maybe right. baking powder, same thing. Like, yeah. You could like you fridge, open up the fridge if you want to cook. Find some oil, put it in a pan, turn it on, put some protein in there, find some You're cheese, done. put some hot sauce. Like it's all going to work. Yeah. Who cares? Right. 
Awesome. Some people are what I consider to be bakers, such that they need extreme detail. And it doesn't actually matter if the prescription is perfect for them. You might be off some calories, your ratio, who cares, right? But they get relief from knowing there's a hyper-specific plan. Mm -hmm. I had a professional fighter years ago uh, on the stuff, and she was just like, hey, how many almonds am I having here? And I was just like, you know, one ounce or whatever. And she was just like, I, six or eight? And I was like, six. How many did you eat? She's like, I ate six. And I was like, oh, God, thank God we didn't do eight. Thank God. Right. Like, like who, who cares? We're like 15 weeks out from a fight. Just like, I'm just not even worried, right? Yeah. Other folks, though, are like, if you give me that much restriction, it's not sustainable. Like, it's, it's too hard, right? So if you take that person, who I'd consider to be a cook, who just wants concepts and big rules like, eat a lot of variety, eat protein at all your meals. Uh, like they want rules like that. And you give them the hyper-specific plan, the science plan, it's too much. You yeah. lose adherence. You take the baker and you give them cook rules. Hey, just try to get guidelines, eat every few hours, blah, blah, blah. They're going to have anxiety and fail because it's not enough and they're going to jump off the ship. And so the next step we're doing here is we're trying to identify, are you a cook or are you a baker? which then determines how I deliver the exact same system to you. Right. That's great, now, man. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I think everybody should start as a baker. Yeah. Because I'm literally thinking of my own life and I go like, well, in order to get to where I've got gotten today, I was baking for a while. I was writing down and doing mathematical equations and it and it was hard. 
And today I cook. I do not bake today. There is no way you would succeed jumping in as a cook. Right. You don't know what 50 grams really is. You don't really know what a cup of rice is. Is that a cup or a cup and a half? You don't know what two ounces of, like you just peanut butter, oils, fat, like you, you the ketchup example, like things like that. Just, you don't have any idea. Well, oils for me is the hardest because I, there was a period of time where my wife, who is literally a baker, would look at me putting salad dressing on a salad and say, that's a quarter cup of olive oil. And I'd go, no way, that's a tablespoon. And that was a couple of years of me convinced I was using a tablespoon. And then when I started measuring it, a tablespoon is nothing. It's nothing. nothing. You can't dress a salad with a tablespoon of olive oil. That's nothing. It better be a very small salad. Right. <laughs> so like we talked, it's the investment piece. You don't have to do this your whole life, but you probably need to do it <clears throat> for at least a few weeks or maybe a month just to get some calibration and awareness of what you're putting in your mouth. It could be logs. You said that beautifully earlier. It could be any app. Um, could be carbon. could be a chronometer. could be macrofact. Like, Whatever you want to do, I don't care. My fitness pal, if you want to, it doesn't matter, right? Get an idea. From there, then you can say, okay, I know what I feel like when I'm here, here, and here. And I can kind of go more, a little bit more on intuitive eating or feel or concepts. And you can, you at this point can probably do better if you take your scale, but you can also probably be on the road and go, yeah, okay, that's going to be about eight ounces of chicken or so. Like that's probably pretty close. That looks like about a, you're going to be close enough, right? To where you're not just going to come back 20 pounds sort right. of heavier, right? Yeah. Now, the last part about this is cook, baker, and chef. So here's what a chef is. A chef is somebody who spent years as a baker, went to school probably, learned exact recipes, do not deviate from them, but at the same time was learning why they're working. Why do I add this ingredient first? Well, because it'll actually uh, change the acidic profile, which then will allow the thing to rise. Oh, okay. So they're learning the chemistry and the physiology of what's happening in the food. So when they get to the end of that journey, not only can they be a cook, a, a, a cook easy, but they can actually start breaking rules. They can start going, you know, no, 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 no. You actually, actually, I'm going to combine it this way. Like, no, no, I know the recipe says that. I know the rules say that, but actually I understand what's happening and I can actually replace that acidic environment uh, element with this acidic element. And I'll actually then gain this over here. And you can absolutely start breaking rules and figuring out new com That's a chef. The problem is people want to jump to step chef yeah. at the beginning, right? And this is the marketing stuff. It takes a ton of work, right? And it's just like, oh, did you know you can just you know, cut out leptin and all of a sudden you lose your weight? No, like, no, 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 not, not going to work. <laughs> like maybe if you're at the end of your journey and that's a, a nice rule for you or something, great. But those are generally not going to work for people because they're ignoring steps one and two, which are, they don't even know how much food they're eating. They have no concept of, of macro, like they just, they're so far off. Right. So yeah. I, I had a guy this just to, to this point who, you know, and I, and I, if somebody's doing keto and they're having success and losing weight, I say, oh, good for you. I did keto for a long time. I lost some weight. It's I stopped losing weight and it just didn't get me where I wanted to go. And I, I felt better eating carbohydrates. So somebody comes to me and says, you're wrong. And I go like, this was my experience. How can I be wrong? I'm not wrong about my experience. And, and they're like, well, here's a study where you can actually eat more um, if you're eating ketogenic and I go like, by what metric by calories, 
you're maybe consuming a little bit more calories. If you weigh your food against my food, I'm eating more. I'm eating more volume. I'm eating a, a far greater amount simply because the energy in a carbohydrate is half of the en- less than half of the energy in a, a, a gram of fat. So like if your metric is I'm getting to eat 50 more calories a day, okay, if that's the thing that's keeping you going, okay, I, I, to me at the end of the day, that number of how much energy I'm burning is largely irrelevant only so far as I know that I stick within the guidelines. Yeah, 100%. So it's very important. Everything is everything, right? And you're you're going to gain something and you're going to lose something in physiology. There is no magic bullet. There is no magic diet. And I don't care how many more things continue to pop up. There will never be a single panacea of either a problem or solution when it comes to nutrition. Um, right. You hear people say things like this all the time. Man, we put somebody on the moon 50 or 60 years ago, but yet we still don't even understand the basics of nutrition. Well, it's far more complex. There's no, there's nothing in space. There's no environment out there, right? <laughs> like human choices are are way, way, way larger than the variables out there. We have different genetic profiles. We have different ancestries. We have different inheritance. We have different lifestyles. We have different physical environments. The air that we're drinking, the water we're drinking, um, the temperature we live at, the way our community works. All this stuff goes into a global human physiology, right? Which then tells you a single problem or a single solution spread across all those variables is just never, ever, ever going to be correct. Yeah, It just won't be there. You have to, and anytime you start hearing that story, again, either somebody does not under, does not have appropriate scientific acuity or they're overtly lying. This, these are the only two options, right? Here is it's ignorance or lying. That's it. And, and we just have, so many examples uh, across an entire spectrum of evidence base, right? Whether you want to look at uh, teleology, whether you want to look at ancestry, whether you want to look at molecular biology or cell sick, like you, epidemiology, you pick the evidence type you like, and we will be able to find clearly no, no one solution, no one problem. And so what we have to look for more are the opposites, which are things like you just alluded to. What are the pros and what are the cons? Absolutely fine with ketogenic diet, right? They sold it as this miracle cure thing initially on the market. Most of us put, pushed back because we've seen this story a thousand times. I was wrong on many keto things, free to admit that, but we were right on most of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, great. The next one will come. The next one will come. And most of us will stand up and go, no way, no way. It's not solving all your cancer. It's not doing all, no way, no way. We'll be wrong on a few and we'll be right on most. Like that's just how this game works, right? So the question, and this is where I actually think science needs to improve. Um, we've actually recently in the last few weeks finished a study on intermittent fasting. And I wanted to do this a little bit differently. This is a classic uh, 16-8. So you're eating um, in an eight hour window throughout the day and you're fasting the other 16. Uh, most people tend to do something like I start eating at noon and I stop eating at 8 p.m. That'd be your eight hour window yeah, plus or minus. And a lot of people have done great work on this. Grant Tinsley's lab has done a ton of, ton of stuff in Texas Tech on fat loss. And no one's looked at it from the other perspective, though, of muscle gain. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, what about, um, for the record, the fat loss data show it's basically meaningless. So right. exact same, once equated for protein and calories, intermittent fasting is no better or worse, by the way. No worse either for fat loss. Right. So 
amazing yeah if if your energy is taken into consideration you'll lose the same amount of fat roughly same thing you were kind of talking about with keto maybe yeah. 50 calories to like a couple grand like nothing nothing really earth shattering unless it is better for you for other reasons right so great but objectively this is not a huge huge one i want to look at it from the perspective of muscle gain what if somebody's actively trying to gain muscle and they wanted to intermittent fasting is this going to help their process is it going to be irrelevant or is it going to hurt it? But what I wanted to do is not simply look at muscle gain because that's just, as you talked about, I'm like, that's just one factor. What about what's it do to my sleep? What's it do to my energy? What's it do to my digestion? What's it do to my bloating? I, and I knew the answer would not be a slam dunk in one direction or the other. It was just no possible way that one of those diets was going to be superior in all elements. Right. I anticipated finding, hey, it's better for A, it's worse for B. It's not different for C or D or E. Like, that's great. Now, we just started analyzing those data. Um, I don't have the, the full results to come back to you with, but what I can tell you is it played out um, not within each individual variable, but globally exactly like we thought. There are some things that the fasting was better at, and there are some things that it was far worse at. And I, I, what I would have to imagine if you start running across all these dietary spectrums and you start throwing in adherence and you start throwing in cost and you start throwing in other stuff there's going to be some that is just like oh it was way better for mental focus yeah well, okay you actually, got you got to tell me though in general it's not the most ideal for hypertrophy what i will tell you is in our study oh shit am i about to become an intermittent faster i'm kidding <laughs> when you equate for protein throughout the day and your training is equal and your calories are equal and your carbohydrates and your fat are all are equal. Those are the things that are going to drive hypertrophy the most. Um, we did this in well-trained folks, by the way, not like beginners. So if you're looking for orders of magnitude in terms of what's most important, food timing or things like total protein, it's going to be total protein by right. a landslide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, when I am so dialed in, I'm having six meals a day and two of those meals are shakes but I, yep. call, I consider them meals when I'm so dialed in on days that I I'm really rushed and I can't figure it out. Sometimes I'll only eat two meals. I'm not perfectly keeping it within and, and I'll probably also have a shake. I'm not keeping it perfectly within eight hours, yep. but I haven't noticed that when, when I find myself doing that for a week, I'm not suddenly when my yeah. when my food intake is virtually the same, but my meals change, I'm not struggling in the gym. Yeah, and, and you shouldn't. If you are, then that would indicate some sort of probably dysfunction or uh, inefficiency somewhere in the chain, right? You shouldn't be that sensitive. We we sort of always joke, hey man, look if if you are an hour late on lunch, and all of a sudden you're hangry right. and you're crappy and you can't focus or you get a headache, like that's not a bad a badge of honor, right? Like, that's we we call you, we call you precious and, and your ass is getting left in the woods. Like right. we're leaving you behind. Yeah. Like, you should be more resilient than that. That's, that's not the ideal situation. Um, th there's differences, right? If you're, I mean, I've done lots of extended fasting, 24, 48 plus hour stuff. Um, you should be pretty okay. You're yeah. going to be a little hungry, but it shouldn't be that big a deal for most people. Uh, certainly now, if you walk that back to like, you missed the lunch today, it's like, 
Come on now. Like, yeah, you again, know, we're you, leaving you in the woods. The place like that it does me in is when I'm traveling. And, and, but I, but I believe that's because I have a ton of anxiety about traveling that all goes back to when I was really overweight. Traveling was particularly hard. And, and so, but I can think it through rationally and go like, I'm okay. Like if I have to run to the next gate, I'll be okay. It's not going to be the end of the world, but there was a time where it would have been the end of the world. Um, and somehow I still carry all those, that anxiety. And then it makes me desperate to eat. Like I sit down on a plane and I find that I'm starving and I could have just eaten. doesn't matter. So I now bring food with me to, to mitigate that. Um, but yeah, no, but I completely agree. Given all normal circumstances, an hour later on a meal, we should all basically, we're, <laughs> we're in North America. We've got so much food. We've all got plenty of yeah. fat that our bodies can feed on. 100%. Um, Andy, this has been an incredible conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for hours uh, and and there's so much more. I hope we get to do this again. Thank you. Yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. Um I want to reiterate too, like it's been so fun following you on Instagram. The story is awesome. I love the stuff you put out there. Uh, it's really, really fun. And it's, it's really cool to see somebody who does not come from the quote unquote scientific background to really take this on as a passion and then to extend that passion to the rest of the world. Um, there's there's a lot of things I can say as a scientist, but there's not a lot of things I can say from having gone through a journey like you've gone through. And that's that carries more weight than any paper I'll ever publish. So it, it's just an awesome service you're providing to the world, man. I just, I failed so many times because I bought the magic pill. You you know what I mean? Or the detox tea or the fat burner pill or whatever. And like, I just didn't want to fail anymore because I knew I could lose weight. So there's got to be a little bit more to it. And like all of this stuff, like literally you helped me. So thank you. All right. uh, It's been a pleasure, man. Can't wait to do it again. All right. Talk to you soon. And now for the Q&A. I've got one for you from Mitchell. Hi, Mitchell. Mitchell says, hello, guys. I've been listening for the last week while I walk and eat to keep me on track. My question is, I want to start biking. Being that I'm 305 pounds, I don't know where to start. I want a beginner bike that I can ride, but I don't want it to be a pile of crap. Any suggestions? Yeah, um... Uh, 300 pounds is not uh, impossible to find a bike that will say it supports 300 pounds. And, uh, you know, um, maybe some of the like ultra, ultra lightweight carbon fiber bikes will max out it to something. But you should be able to find any steel frame bike. Um, I know for sure a like a big, heavy beach cruiser with gigantic tires will support should support 300 pounds i I mean listen i'm not a bike manufacturer but i rode those when i was 300 or more pounds even um and like is he asking for the brand what brand Uh, of bike yeah just any any suggestions he just says i want a beginner bike i can ride but don't want you know he doesn't want it to be a bad one yeah i think that just going into a bike shop and figuring this out there's so many different types of bikes there's you know off-road bikes uh, bikes specifically for the road there's hybrid bikes there's 
beach cruisers. There are so many different types of bikes that you should just go into a good bike shop or, um, you know, start reading like bicycling.com articles. And there, there's a, a Velo, V-E-L-O website that will have articles about this. Um, or I'm bet cyclist.com. I'm, I'm making that up, but I would be willing to bet it's a thing that has useful information about this. Um, the other thing I suggest is getting properly fitted to your bike. Um, it always felt very weird to me how high they wanted my seat, which they will call a saddle. Um, and almost so high that it felt like I was going to tip over and, and had to lean the bike a little bit to get my foot on the ground. But that having that at the right height will, uh, really radically change your experience and your ability to stay on the bike longer. Like it, it will make you less sore having the bike properly fit to you. And that just means like, how high the stem of the handlebars are and how high up the saddle goes and all of those adjustments uh, a proper bike mechanic can make at a bike shop that's my recommendation nice thank you so much for that mitchell if you have a question you want ethan Supley to answer here on american glutton you can send it to us the address is hello at americanglutton.net thanks for listening to this episode of american glutton i'm ethan Supley. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.